You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is made by rural leaders for rural leaders. Our goal, if you're tuning in today, is to help you feel equipped to serve God and build his kingdom in whatever small town and small place you find yourself in. We believe that the work we do in small places has immense value for the kingdom of God, and we are so excited you joined us today. I'm your host, Joe Ebley. We are doing a new series, and we are focusing on evangelism, outreach in the rural church, because, again, things look different everywhere, and we want to gather some voices over the next several weeks and talk about some different models and approaches to reaching out to our small-town communities, because, again, there's so many elements involved. And so, to that end, we are excited today to have Pastor Chuck Pruitt on with us. And so, uh, without further ado, I just want to say hi, Chuck. How are you doing? Good. Hi, Joe. Yeah, fun to, fun to join you. Absolutely. So as we do with every guest that we bring on here, we really, really champion uh, not just speaking to rural context, but hearing from those who are rural practitioners. And so, Chuck, as we start here, do you mind giving us a background of your involvement in the rural church and why you think the rural church matters? Yeah, uh, I pastor a church in Princeton, Minnesota. Our town is about 4,000 people. I don't think it's that big. It's probably more like 3,800, but they, the sign says 4,000. So, but <laughs> we have, uh, I never thought I'd, I'd pastor a rural church, quite honestly. I came from uh, a more of an urban setting. I grew up in North Minneapolis area, then moved out to Bloomington and eventually landed out here in rural. And I'm so sold on rural ministry. Been here for 26 years. Been, it's been quite a journey, a God journey, and it's been a lot of fun to see what God has done. We're about 53 or four miles from uh, north of the Twin Cities, so we're quite a ways out of the cities. Nice. So that's kind of uh, a little bit. We've been here, like I say, 26 years, and we had, we started out, we, there was about 26 people. Uh, the church was going through some some hard times, and uh kind of came in with a fresh vision on focusing on change and targeting young families. And uh, the church bought in and said yes. And what's unique about my setting is that I had a group of older folks who were willing to do anything to change, which mm-hmm. was, which is a, a great gift to a pastor coming in who's got, you know, vision and, and desire. And uh, so the people moved right along with me. I, we grew substantially through the years. Uh, presently we run approximately 900 and some and almost all the people that we had back then if they have not passed away they're still with us so we didn't so we still kept our 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 saints so which is great awesome well and i love that you mentioned uh because obviously uh we don't always play a numbers game and yet this is why we're on this podcast they talk about reaching out and obviously to take a church from 26 people to over 900 in a rural area of 4,000, and I'm sure there's some surrounding area, but really like, again, a rural community that is just absolutely hitting it. And that's that's incredible. And so it's cool to see what God has done through you. Um, that's pretty exciting. I know that when we talked earlier on the phone, you had mentioned that, that evangelism for you as a pastor kind of had two phases. You know, there was something you really tried to focus on when you started out, 
And then there was something that it kind of morphed into. So maybe you can share with us and describe, you know, why you made that change, where, where you came from, where you went, what that looked like. Right. When we first came to the church, we were really in, in survival mode as the church was just trying to, you know, stay afloat. So I went all throughout our town. We're about a mile and a half out of town, out in the cornfield. And so I went through the town and said, do you know where our church is? And, and I named the church and they would go, no, never heard of it. And so even to the gas station, that was a half a mile just down the road from us. And they had no idea who we were, heard of us. So we first of all started doing what I would call event evangelism, trying to get people on our campus to know that we were even here because we truly could not um, explain to people, you know, come to this church and they go, where is it at? We haven't even heard of it. So we started doing big events. And one of the, one of the things that really uh, made a, a huge impact for us is that we found the key to our city. Our city has a racetrack in it. It's one of those uh, dirt tracks type of thing, but there's every Friday night you can hear the races. And so what we started just praying, thinking, Lord, help us to be creative. What can we do as an outreach outside the box of normal church outreach? So we had what we called a hot rod Sunday. And, uh, Again, our church was very small, and I started casting that vision to our saints, and they said, do you think people will really come if we just called it a hot rod Sunday? I said, well, let's try it. And we ended up uh, inviting the Minnesota Hot Rod Association to come out with all their cars, their fancy cars, and we had prizes to give away for best of show and all those different types of things. Then we had also a burnout contest, and so people brought their cars to burn them out and burn the rubber and and it, it was it was probably one of the biggest days. We had over 750 people come out to our church. And so immediately we had exposure because people came because not because of our church, but because it was hot rods. And I think that was kind of a it was a bridge event. We preached the gospel. We gave an altar call at the event and uh, a few people came to the Lord, not a lot. But it was the first thing we did to actually let people know we were in the community. From there, we did a lot more events. Uh, uh, we did the uh, city of Bethlehem. We built a great big city of Bethlehem out in our backyard of our church and put lights up. And, it, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty much a pretty stupid idea. I, I wish I could, I wish I could tell you that every evangelistic idea that we came up with uh, was a hit, but, you know, to try to create a city of Bethlehem in the middle of December in Minnesota was just not the brightest idea. We, we had heaters plugged in everywhere. Everybody was trying to stay warm. Now, the crazy thing, I mean, we had camels, we had donkeys, we had, we, we did the whole thing really right. I mean, and people came out to it, but there was the second year we did it, this weather storm came in and for two or three days, it was sub-zero, way sub-zero weather. And we just said, well, okay, we shut this thing down. So anyway, we went to a lot of event evangelism to get, let people know that we were here, but we knew that was not sustainable. It takes so much energy to get the whole church to rally around an event. We, we slowly began to move into, into just lifestyle evangelism and also for our church culture to have our ministries start reaching out on their own versus a whole church emphasis. Oh, sure, sure. And that, that really made a big difference. Our women's ministries started a big, what they call it, Big Ladies Night Out. And uh, they've had, they, they, all year long, they go out and they shop and they look for thrift stores for furniture and different things. Then they spend the rest of the year refurbishing it, making it look just brand new, really nice. Or And they buy all these decorations. Then they, on the night, 
the whole week before the event, they basically decorate every room in our church, or three or four rooms at least, they make it look exactly like it would in your bedroom. So they put a whole bedroom set and dining room set, and they're, they're giving all the stuff away for raffle. So anybody oh, nice. who comes. So again, it's just a out of the box idea. And those have seemed to work the best, uh, you know, just ba- bringing in a speaker, even, even a well-known speaker and today, they don't know who they are, you know, they, who, so who's, who's Franklin Graham or whatever. I was like, it, people just don't know who they are. So we did more of a, more of what we would call a, uh, a hobby type outreach, something that would attract people for they like that way. And then, so <clears throat> that's some of the things that different ministries, we did a, what we call a, a men's toot and shoot day. Basically it was a chili, it was a father son outreach and they had uh, chili uh, feed. So that was the toot idea. And then they had a, um, a gun day where they shot uh, clay pigeons and, and uh, blew up things. They had a cannon out there and they just did crazy things. And out here in our rural area, the more crazier it can be and blow more things up, the more uh, people get excited about it. And like I say, all these things became bridge events to keep letting people know that we were here. And, that, and I think that was the, the start of it. I think the best evangelism takes place because for assimilation purposes is that those people get saved by somebody in the church or in the church itself because they're already tied to the location so you can grow them. I think that's one of the hardest things is that we sometimes get busy doing these outreaches and people get saved and then we have no follow-up program. We can't somehow, uh, we, we lose the, the harvest because they're just not tied into any church yet. And so we ended up doing a lot more of what we call the bridge events and then had salvation become more of a process than an event. Awesome. Uh, I love how I love how you both value the events for what they do and yet recognize that like by themselves, they're, they're insufficient. Like that's just so cool because, because I think we tend to swing to extremes, you know, on one side we say, well, let's do all these events and let's be high energy and let's bridge the community. And that's great. Like it has a purpose. It is good. You might find it useful. And yet to recognize that like, well, this can't be the end all be all. It might have to partner with something else. Well, uh, let's talk about a couple things then, because we're going to get to that assimilation part that you mentioned, because I think that's just a huge thing. Um, but right in between that, I want to I want to zone in on that culture of change. You mentioned that you were blessed with some saints that that were predominantly older and yet still were committed to change. Uh, you also mentioned kind of your focus in general in the next generation, and maybe someone's listening who who is saying, "Hey, I have a church full of people who are resistant to change. How can you help them? You know, maybe give us one or two principles. How does someone create that culture in their church?" Right. You know, honestly, in our setting, what really helped was the fact that the church went through a near death experience. I think when a church goes, anybody goes through a near death experience, you put your priorities in line, and the church was was more accept, ready for change and. But it didn't mean that they accepted everything right away. We had to we had to go slowly, and we had to do it at a pace that was sustainable for them to stay with us. We mm-hmm. didn't want to do it at the expense of people. And I think I, I think the the key to leading leading change is helping the idea of change be their idea, not yours. People are much more willing to champion something that they feel they're behind versus just the pastor trying to persuade everybody. Um, so I started getting the key people in our church and just started having coffee with them, dreaming with them and just plugging little ideas without necessarily pushing. 
And then all of a sudden I would hear in a deacon meeting, one of the pat, one of the guys would say, Hey, you know, uh, I think we ought to do this. And I would go, boy, that's a great idea, Bob. <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile, I sold the idea to him about three months ago. And I think sometimes you, we have to, as pastors, we see the need and we want to move in that direction. And sometimes what we have to do is move at a pace that takes the people with us. And, and sometimes, like I say, I think we all champion the idea that we're behind and we feel that we're, that we're a part of the solution. And that was the key. I, when I came into the church, we came in with a vision. And again, I think it's more and more popular today, but 26 years ago, it was pretty new. And that was that we said that we were going to be a church that was going to reach people of all ages for Christ by focusing on the next generation. And we're going to do that by being real, relevant, and relational. Uh, one of the models at our church is, is if church is all about relate. Everything is about relationships. Life is about relationships. Everything else is trivial. Mm-hmm. And so we, we talk about the whole idea of being connected. And um, <clears throat> the people bought in. We didn't have any money. We didn't even have a savings account when I came. And so there was no money. But uh, by being focused on the next generation, whatever money we came up with, we, we focused it on children. My first hire was a children's pastor. It's just because we knew that the key to the unsaved, the key to the lost is their children. People will do things for their kids. The largest food franchise in the world is McDonald's. They're the first ones that targeted your kids specifically. They came out with a clown for a mascot. They came out with primary colors. They came out with toys and their meals. They came, they, they, they did that purposely. So that way, anytime a good mom and dad would say, Hey kids, what do you guys want to go out for lunch or supper? And then every kid would say McDonald's where none of us as adults would say, boy, I'm hungry for a big Mac. And that just proved to me the idea that people will do things for the children that they won't do for themselves. I will yield for the for, the, for my child that won't do for me. So today our, our biggest outreach is what we call God is greater, which is our Halloween alternative. To this day, we'll have half of our city, half of our town come out to our church for a big day that we put on because it's, it's, it's aimed at the kids. And almost every family that comes into our church, I have, we have in our house, my wife and I, we have a small group that meets for about eight weeks and we invite these new families in just to get to know the pastor because in a large town, I mean, excuse me, in a small town, people got to feel like connected to the pastor. And the, the, our biggest obstacle that we face in our town is that people feel our church is too big. Mm. They're scared of it. They're scared of it. Which is so, fair. yeah. So what we, we've done to correct that or help with that is that we have these small group meetings where People come in and we just sit down and have cookies and coffee and we just talk about why is what makes new life new life and we share our uh, history where we're at as as a couple my wife and I and answer any of their questions and it, it builds the bridge that they feel connected to the pastor which was we feel is really important the culture change took place first of all in our vision statement that we said that we were going to be reaching out the next generation well every five years there's you have to evaluate. Are you reaching the next generation? What kind of music? What do their parents listen to? And so it, it, it dictated a, a constant change in even the music style that we use. Because we said, if we're targeting young, the next generation, then the music has got to meet the parents of the next generation. So, because mm. I, I came into a culture that was all hymns and it was all, and there's nothing wrong with the hymns. I love the hymns to this day. I, some of my favorite music that I've always loved 
we don't, we never sing anymore, but it's because the, the vision itself mandates us to change. Mm. So the, the, the one thing that we have constant in our church right now is change. And, you know, as Mark Twain said, the only people that like change are wet babies. There are times it frustrates me because I, I don't, I, I wish we'd go back to that song. We, we tie music to places in our life, times in our life. And we think that's the best music because what it did in us. And, and uh, there are times I, we, I've abandoned, we've abandoned the music I love. Um, but anyway, so creating a culture change is a process for sure. Yeah. And I, I really love uh, one of the things I think your answer gave us was kind of a glimpse into the fact that a culture of change is actually happening on multiple fronts all at once. I mean, you're talking, yeah, I, I pitched something to my board and then I have to sit down with them as individuals over a period of months before these ideas start to take root, which is hugely um, challenging and encouraging to younger leaders because frustration with the pace of change is oftentimes why a young leader might burn out. And and then I love how you you talked about, you know, changing your demographic and then even reevaluating, because I think we're really tempted to kind of set it and forget it in a sense. We're like, yeah, I, I, I already evaluated. Now, can I just run with that for the rest of ministry? And it's like, well, no, you got to evaluate and reevaluate. So those are all uh, really great things, a lot to unpack there. And I love, uh, thank you for sharing kind of that. Again, it gives me a good picture of like, hey, change is something that you have to be analyzing in every department in every way in every event. And it's just super cool to hear you talk about that. And obviously it has been successful, you know, and so that's exciting. So let's talk about assimilation because one of the things that I know uh, that you and I talked about, and it, it kind of struck a chord with me, you mentioned that like, there'd be a lot of people in your town who without appropriate follow-up, um, they're going to feel forgotten. They're going to feel like, oh yeah, nobody cared whether I was there or not. And you mentioned uh, some simple but serious steps of intentionality in helping people remain connected. So maybe, um, you know, Help us understand what those are. Yeah, we, we developed a system called, we call We Care. And basically it tracks people. It's, it's work, you know, um, tracking people is work. But anybody who comes to our church first time, we know about it. We have about four different ways where we get their information through child check-in or through, uh, we pass a book every Sunday, every morning. I mean, that's really old school. When you pass a book and put your name in it, that's really old school, but we still do it to this day. And we tell people right away that, you know, um, we're, we're the church that, that cares. And so if sometimes we don't know if you're here or not, because if you come in late and leave early, we'll never see you. So sign the book. So we, so we know you're here and first time visitors get a phone call from me. Any questions you might have about the, our church? Uh, we just want to help. We don't, none of it is pressure. It's just trying to be kind and, and helpful. And after they, they've, we used to do a, after the third visit, we would mug people <laughs> and, and we actually had a coffee cup that said, uh, I've been mugged by New Life Church. And so we would, you know, just say, we just came by to mug you and here's a mug. And again, some of that kind of stuff. But then what, if anybody's gone for three weeks in a row, they also get a phone call from us. And it's usually by my pat, my wife. And it's just simply saying, hey, we've missed you. Is there anything that we can be praying for you? Because we found at times that people are in the hospital and they, we don't even know about it. And so that's how we sometimes find out is by making a phone call and the family member says, oh yeah, yeah, Bob's in the hospital. And so, but we never want anybody to ever leave our church with and be able to say, I left and nobody noticed, nobody mm. cared, nobody called, 
nobody. So we just, we were that church that tracks people. We, we track them in what ministries they're in. We, we know their involvement and because we know that people who are struggling with something, they will, they will get uninvolved before they leave. And if somebody just pulls out of everything that becomes assigned to us to say, Hey, have we offended somebody some way, somehow. And we, so we just, you know, again, we, we, we've hired a secretary who's 50% of their job is working with that information. So they simulate, they, they process all that information and give it to us as pastors to make phone calls. And, and we do that. Oh, wow. And those are all uh, really cool steps. I, uh, I'm even thinking to my own context and I, I feel convicted in a good way of just like, oh man, yeah, what, what have I done, you know, or what have we done to, you know, and how people felt missed. Cause I, I think it has happened where people in my community, you know, we don't know for months the, what, what's happening and why they're not there. And, and I think for a lot of rural pastors, it can feel really, really intimidating, really dicey to try and ask. Cause you're like, well, am I being overbearing? Am I, you know, am I being too invasive? What if they wanted to leave? What if they don't want to talk to me? But I really love your commitment there because you're like, Hey, no matter what the response is, they will know that we cared. And that's, and I think that that's huge. And obviously, again, it is a key part of taking a church of 26 people to, to over 900, because again, you're creating a culture that cares and that's huge. Another thing we did too, Joe, is that sometimes when we made those phone calls and somebody had been gone for a while, we didn't call and say, hey, you know what, you've been gone for three weeks. We would change the whole verbiage and say, hey, we'll just call in you to see, is there anything we can pray for you about? We just are just wanting to reach out and we're just calling different people in our church to say, you know, how are you doing? And start the conversation. So sometimes the phone call can feel like, oh, it's big brother checking up on me. Sure. This is about praying for them. You know, can we specifically pray for you this week on something? And it just, again, changes the whole mindset of somebody is making sure that I go to church. No, it's not. That's not the purpose of it. I think we're just trying to love on people and let them know that they're cared for. Right. Because it's like you mentioned, a lot of people are going to pull out of ministry because they're struggling and eventually pull out of the church because they're struggling. And what's the easiest way to hear about a struggle? You call and say, hey, can I pray for you about anything? You're kind of given those opportunities. Man, that's huge. Well, last thing I want to touch on. Uh, and we can maybe touch on it briefly, but obviously you have tried, and I've even heard this verbiage throughout the podcast, but you've tried as you have grown numerically to still commit relationally. Uh, I really love what you said about um, meeting with people and like as the pastor, because sometimes when churches get big, pastors get really insulated and isolated from their people. Uh, it's just a side effect that can happen. And I really love your commitment to being like, no, we have people in our home. We are connecting um, they're getting calls from you, all those things. And so maybe talk for a second, because part of outreach is assimilation, like like to reach out and evangelize is bringing someone to discipleship and commitment. And so maybe talk small groups really briefly and, and talk about how that's created some momentum for your church. Yeah, we, you know, again, I wish I could tell you, here's the simple key to small groups and how to get them going to your church and make them successful, because I, I, we've started and stopped small groups rebooted i should say small groups probably four times oh wow uh we we tried demographically setting them up we've tried geographically setting them up we've tried interest-based small groups we've tried i mean just everything and and i think the key right now right now we have uh, uh, almost half of our adults in small groups right now nice which which is I mean, it's, it's a God thing. I, I wish I could tell you the secret to it, but let, let me just say this. The secret, the, the, the secret that I know of is that we just kept working at it until it worked. 
Mm. And I think, I think sometimes we find with small groups, we say, we tried that and it didn't work. And we said, we quit. We just kept going and our community became more ready for small groups. We finally got a Walmart in our town. It's like, Hey, people stop going somewhere else to shop. And so it's actually the, the most connected people in our community as we we're out, we're like I say an hour out of the twin cities was our teenagers. Uh, Cause they went to school together all the time and everything else. They hung out together. So uh, our adults were just really kind of happy to shop somewhere else, eat somewhere else and do life somewhere else. And so community was really a struggle. So eventually the culture of our community started to change when a Walmart came in, all of a sudden we started seeing each other shopping together and, and things started to change. So with that, uh, our small groups and also COVID, uh, I know COVID did a lot of harmful things for a lot of a lot of churches, but one of the things that blessed us with is that it created a desire for people to get connected again. And so we we took advantage of that again, and we we rebooted small groups and and called them getting connected. These are our connect groups, and this is how you get connected. And people and it, just even the verbiage itself connect it spoke to people they wanted it. But but the whole point is, is that we we created all these under shepherds that are managing people and loving on people and. It's, it's by far the best way to do discipleship because a pastor, you, you can't get enough just by the teaching of the Sunday morning. And, and uh, you know, so they have somebody that they call on all the time and somebody they, they can relate to. And they get phone calls before I do, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, so, but like I say, I, there wasn't any one key thing I could say, Joe, that just created it other than the fact that we just kept working it and kept working and emphasizing it. And, yeah. and uh, if I, we have people today come in and, and as this, they hear so much about connect groups as they're saying, so how do you, how do you join a connect group? Which was, that has not been a part of our culture and our church. It's been dread, you know, pulling people, dragging people into a connect group. And now we have a culture in our church where people are coming in. We don't have enough connect groups for people coming in. Wow. So, Well, that's exciting. And honestly, I think uh, what I'm hearing from your verbiage is like that connect groups has become an extension of your culture. You know, how, how do you, how do you get an idea to succeed? You fail at it five times, but because your culture has changed and growth, you're okay with that. You're like, yeah, we tried and we failed, but we're going to retool it and we're going to go forward. And like, that is, so powerful. That's exactly right. We, we used each time. I, I think many times ministry catches, not because we've somehow came up with a really cool idea and we did it. It's just, it's just through faithfulness. We just keep going and keep going. And all of a sudden it opens up. And, and I just want to encourage all the rural pastors out there that, that a lot of these things you could say you've tried and I, and I understand it. I, we were there. We've, We've tried some things and didn't work, but we just, you know, what we do, we just keep on going and, and moving forward with it. And, and like I say, uh, we have the freedom to fail in our church. We, we've come up with some crazy things. Some have really been fun and some people really love it. And some, the gun shoot, we don't do the gun shoot anymore. We did it for nine years in a row. And every year we did the, the toot and shoot I, as a pastor. We had 150 people out there with guns. I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, and I just kept praying, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I just, you know, again, just hoping somebody doesn't do something stupid. You know, you get these crazy people today you hear in culture. And, and I just, Lord, don't let them show up at this thing. And uh, because these things attracted people we didn't know. 
our own people. Well, yeah, I, I trust my people. I don't trust everybody who shows up at something. And so we ended up just canceling it. We just said the liability was too much. Um, we had people, like I said, bringing all their AR-15s and everything else and shooting everything wild. And it was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> um, so, but like I say, try, keep going, keep pushing, uh, be encouraging, uh, learn to laugh at the failures, but don't stop. Right. And I, and I truly believe, I truly believe that, that as culture, it continues to get so dark that whatever you do is show, show up. I mean, our culture right now is getting more and more disconnected. So you, you start providing ways of getting connected and everything else that's going to catch. And it's people are going to say, I need that. I want that. And I think that's what we've hit at here. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet, uh, and and this is a little off script, but I'm willing to bet, you know, you've been there 26 years. Were there ever seasons where you wanted to quit pastoring your church? (laughs) Uh, Last week. How many times? Uh, (laughs) I think as a pastor, you know, we're exposed. The higher you climb the, the mountain, the more exposed you are on from every side. And there are times you just get tired. There's times you, I still get nasty letters because we do something that's a little out crazy. And I, I got a, I got a sister in the church who just loves to write me letters. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and sometimes she, she gives them to me and it's about somebody in, on my staff and I never show it to them. I just rip it up. And so my whole point is, is yeah, you, you get discouraged. You can get times, but that's when you have to shake it off and say, no, I say it's not about, it's not about pleasing her. It's about reaching the lost. It's about making an impact for the kingdom. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, the reason I brought that up is just spoke to me so well is, is oftentimes, I mean, you're, you're sitting in a season and in a moment, which is obviously not without its trials, but has a measure of what we would call success. People are getting discipled, connected, your church has grown. And yet a lot of that would not have ever materialized had you quit the five, six, seven, eight times you wanted to. And so I just wanted to bring that up because I am sure listening is a pastor who's saying, I want the fruit that that guy has, but I, how do I, how do I get there? And sometimes it is that stick to So, well, Hey, this has been a, a great conversation, Pastor Chuck. Thank you so much. We just really appreciate your input on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on, man. My pleasure, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again for tuning in. This has been Rural Advancement. Uh, Again, if you're doing God's work in a small place, we are so excited that you tuned in today. We want you to feel equipped and valued and empowered to do God's work well wherever you find yourself. And as a favor to us, if you're listening, feel free to share this podcast with somebody. Leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps us get the word out and maybe we can empower some other rural leaders. Thanks again for tuning in and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.